Welcome back to the Beer Truth Podcast. I'm Tom. I'm here to talk about beer. And that's exactly what you're going to hear today is me talking about beer. So buckle up. Uh, today we are another beer basics episode. I'm um, going to be talking about hoppy ale styles. And by that, I mean really kind of specifically uh, the pale ale IPA spectrum of things and really more of the American expression of the style so not really going all the way back to English pale ale and you know where that all started but really more of the craft beer in America focus on things which pale ale uh, you know not exactly the same place as pale ale started but most people in America are going to right away think of Sierra Nevada pale ale and rightfully so it's introduced a lot of people to the style uh, to craft beer in general, when craft beer really wasn't a thing, but was really kind of the weird thing, because mass market and the big, you know, Anheuser Busch and uh, Coors and all those were really controlled pretty much everything, and so Sierra Nevada Pale was really kind of something different. Exposed a lot of people to the style, to craft beer, and really to different flavors, with a little bit different malts with different flavors. Uh, little more intense flavors and of course when you're talking about Sierra Pale you got to talk about Cascade Hops. Um, It really changed the way people think about hops. Of course Sierra Pale is still around, it's still relevant, it's still good and a lot of times if you're listening to interviews uh, with breweries and brewers and what got them going um, it's probably 50-50 or better odds that they're going to say Sierra Nevada Pale Ale is the beer that got them going, got them into craft, got them something different, and, you know, made them kind of curious about doing the whole thing. Literally, go on your computer and Google Pale Ale, and Sierra Nevada's website is the first result, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. I, I'm, I'm not making it up, just actually go do it. It's, it's pretty cool. So anyway... Pale ale. It's in the name. It's an ale. It means ale yeast. Uh, it's fermented warmer than lager beers. Uh, the yeast, the temperature of fermentation, all temperature control, and oftentimes the hops, especially these days, the hops helps give those fruity flavors and aromas that we think of, whereas a lager is generally supposed to be clean and light and crisp and refreshing and have that nice crisp finish to it, uh, you know, go back for another sip it's clean you don't have to think about it after that there's not too much to dive into um there is a lot of complexity to lager beers but that's not where we're going with this so pale ale uh generally abv wise around four and a half to five and a half percent kind of that five percent range is really pretty standard uh differs you know here and there based on the brewery because there's 8200 breweries or something in america now everyone's gonna do their own thing, do what they want to do. But that's kind of the general areas, 5% or so. Some are more kind of caramel malty. Uh, You know, that's kind of considered a little old school at this point. Some are basically the same bitterness as an IPA, which, you know, to each their own on that, but a point of contention. But uh, 5%, pretty typical with some malt presence to keep things balanced. You don't want to get too bitter. 
you start leaning towards an IPA. You don't want to get too sweet. Um, kind of get towards a kind of towards the amber side of things. Um, there's hazy pale ales. I I don't know. There's I had a really good one the other day from Temescal Brewing, but I was not because of the brewery, but because of the style. I was shocked that I actually really really enjoyed it. When I think of hazy, I just think of someone dumping a bunch of dextrose in their beer and just feels like you're drinking a beer that someone crumbled up chalk inside of it. But generally, the hazy thing is is a pretty recent thing when it comes to IPAs, pails. Um, It's turned regular hoppy beers into hazy, juicy hoppy beers. and So there are some good ones out there, but... Pale ale, generally, what people are going to think of, Sierra Pale, um, or something, maybe a, a little bit less sweetness, a little more bitter, but that kind of leads us into IPA, and the backstory of IPA we went over a little bit in the Ales versus Lagers episode, so go check that out if you want a little more in-depth there, but at some point I'll probably do an IPA-specific episode to cover the very, very wide range that defines IPA these days. But on the basic side of things, IPA is kind of a step up from pale ale in that it's higher ABV, um, ABV meaning alcohol by volume. It's generally around 6% or so up to the mid 7% range. uh, Using a good amount more hops to sometimes a lot more hops. And if you remember the kind of early 2010s, 2011, 12, that kind of range, the IBU race, which, you know, people say that you can't measure over 100. People say that it doesn't matter in the first place. It's kind of an arbitrary formula calculation that doesn't really encompass all the bitterness in your beer. So anyway, IBUs are still around, but that trend has kind of fallen off a little bit. But yeah. West Coast IPA, you got New England IPA, and yes, I said New England, not Northeast. Fuck that shit. Go Patriots. Tom Brady, please come back. Moving on. Let me cry a little bit, and then we'll move on. There's English IPA, which is really kind of the original IPA that came to America, um, you know, a few decades ago, and... If you look up uh, Geary's in Portland, Maine, that's a pretty iconic brewery that does a lot of English styles, a lot of classic styles, and, and I don't really think it gets the recognition it deserves because, you know, they don't distribute to 50 states and have enough haze in their juice bombs. But anyway, uh, wherever you're listening from, whether it's in America, whether it's in Australia or wherever the hell you are, uh, I'm pretty much guarantee there's a local take on the IPA style. So there's a very wide range of takes on the IPA style. And, you know, a lot of them have gotten popular. Some of them have not so much. Uh, I wish the Brute IPA would come back, but no one seems to give a shit about that, which I regret because I really like that nice clean finish. But anyway, uh, there's hazy IPAs, which hazy New England style people kind of argue here and there on what the difference is or what the distinction should be, but um, I go with New England style. The general guidelines for, uh, I believe, the GABF and beer judging in general 
uh, call them hazy or juicy. They don't call them specifically New England because they're all over. You can get one in San Diego or Seattle or Tampa Bay or I don't want to talk about Tampa Bay. Uh, anyway, Tom Brady, please come back. So hazy IPAs, some of them are just chalky and gritty and feels like it's there's like sediment in your beer and that's because there actually is sediment in your beer and to me that's not the way to do uh you know hazy ipas juicy that new england style in general you know that's i mean go on instagram go on beer advocate go on whatever and the hazy juicy ipas that look like juice and taste like juice and sometimes you can't even taste any alcohol or even know that you're drinking alcohol but as an adult, I don't want to drink Capri Suns with alcohol in them. I do have taste buds. So those don't apply to me or those don't appeal to me, but it is what it is. The New England style IPAs are basically kind of by rule shooting for that soft, round, juicy kind of feel that really keeps hot bitterness to a minimum. And that means that a lot of these beers that are going for that style barely if at all use hops in the boil and sometimes you listen to an interview and the brewer's like yeah we don't hop in the boil at all like we get no bitterness from hops in the boil but they just use a shit ton of dry hopping or whirlpool hopping uh keeps helps them keep bitterness down as low as possible um and really get the the aroma and the flavor rather than the bitterness and the alpha acids there is still going to be some bitterness but the goal is to keep it as low as possible and that's really at this time that's really what sells and that's what people are craving so you know there's you can't really blame the brewery for making what sells and paying the rent and being able to do whatever else you want to do um, there's also sour ipas and milkshake ipas which i personally think are a crime against craft beer but hey, spend your $22 for a four-pack at your own leisure. Sour IPAs, I think, can fuck all the way off, and I have no regrets saying that. But again, if it sells, I can't really blame a brewery for doing something to pay the rent if people are willing to pay for it and you know people want it that bad. I don't know how much arguing I can do about it. So from IPAs, the next progression obviously would be moving up to double IPAs, which are usually anywhere from around 8% or so up through 9% range and even up to 10 or so, which kind of moves on into triple IPAs and beyond wherever you want to go with that, but we'll get to that. Uh, double IPA doesn't mean that everything in an IPA recipe is doubled. I mean, think about it. That would mean you could end up with a 14% booze bomb that was so bitter you would think you were licking a dandelion or something. Uh, IPA to double IPA can be the difference between 7% and 8.2%, which does mean more grain in the grain bill because you need to get more fermentable sugar in your mash tun. But that ABV is also can be affected by the boil length through evaporation and therefore the concentration of your wort that you are going to be pitching in your yeast into, as well as how you handle fermentation. So... If you still have fermentable sugars and you cut it off early, you're not getting those sugars turning into alcohol. So maybe you hit your target point and then 
crash it and get your yeast out of there and you end up with what you're looking for or if you still have fermentable sugars and and you let it go a little bit then you can maybe squeeze a little bit you know a couple more points out on your abv but there's a lot more uh a lot more to it than just saying that um so the fermentation does play a part after all you don't have any alcohol until you get the yeast in there to ferment the wort and create alcohol as you know byproduct of that fermentation process so all in all what i'm trying to say is it's really a big balancing act uh the higher the alcohol level that you're going for or that you want to end up with the more malt you need to begin with to extract the fermentable sugars unless you're going a different way and adding you know candy sugar or some other source of fermentable sugar uh generally you're going to need more malt uh so the initial sugar level um depending on where you end up you're going to end up with some unfermented sugars uh aka residual sugars which or residual sweetness which creates a sweetness in the end product often called malt sweetness or maltiness and you know the packaging labeling will often call this the malt backbone which as necessary as it is to keep the hot bitterness in check and from being a really one-dimensional beer i fucking hate the term malt backbone it just seems so pretentious but it is what it is i get it i just don't like it but i don't have to so once you get up into the high nine and above abv range you're talking triple ipas Quadruple IPAs, which I think is just an acronym for we overhopped this barley wine, but you sheep will drink it anyway. Also, the Imperial IPA, um, it's some people kind of just switch it out with a double IPA. When I think Imperial IPA, I think a little bit more malt, malt sweetness in there than necessarily a double IPA. That could just be my take on it, but uh, Imperial IPA, I think, is I generally assume is going to have a little bit more sweetness um, but I think it's it really kind of comes down to what the brewer want to call wants to call it so uh, double IPAs and imperial IPAs are actually if you think about it very similar to a barley wine especially if it's a hoppier barley wine or like a stone old guardian you know the, there's dry hopped barley wines and you can age it and kind of mellow that bitterness but it's you know, think about it. It's a good chunk of alcohol, which means it has a lot of grain in the mash tun to start with. You're going to end up with a higher alcohol beer. You know, barley wines can be 11%. It doesn't have to be 14, 15%. You're going to need a lot of hops to balance out those residual sugars, which coincidentally, those sugars help kind of curb that bite from the alcohol. So really back to the point, it's all kind of a balancing act. That's kind of the beautiful thing is that brewers can do what they want, you know, there's a lot of arbitrary categorizations and the way you want to market something there's there's some very blurry lines between categories so you can kind of do things the way you want and you know it's not always a hard and fast rule about different styles if you don't like that hot bitterness but you do like the fruity juicy flavors and aromas Maybe you lean more towards the New England style IPAs that are softer and juicier and have have that softer mouthfeel 
and less of that sharp bitterness. Uh, if you're like me and your jam is a 7% super clean, nice and bitter West Coast IPA that still has the aroma, still has the flavor, good luck finding any of those on tap anymore. There are some, but they're getting harder to find. And once those are popular, then someone makes a hazy version of it. And I don't know. Well, whatever. Back in my day, we drank West Coast IPAs that didn't have any fucking lactose or vanilla. Probably the last category under the IPA umbrella is Session IPA, since the Black IPA, Cascadian Dark Ale, whatever you want to call it. That style is dead, although I wish that would come back. But anyway, Session IPAs, maybe you call it a hoppy ale, which Session IPAs to me are more really like an IPA that's kind of watered down than the pale ale. Uh, Although ABV is typically lower than a pale ale. Uh, It's usually under five and my preference and kind of thought on it is four and a half percent or so it's like bud light for people with taste buds as a general rule i think session ipas are basically ipas that the brewery just didn't want to have to mash in twice so maybe they split off a batch from an ipa and watered it back saved a little money on the hops i don't know they always taste like watered down ipas to me with really no malt backbone that maybe they should have a little bit of but there have been very few session ipas that i've enjoyed Although Stone Go To was pretty good, and due to that fact, nobody bought it and it has since been discontinued. So, Greg Cook, if you're listening, which obviously he is, can you please bring back Go To? And on that note, Sublimely Self Righteous, uh, maybe Levitation Ale, and Double Bastard. That'd be great. Thanks. Session IPAs, just think low ABV, crushable hoppy beers that give you some flavor and aroma and. When you're in the backyard barbecuing, something your douchey friend can say, whoa, bro, this is hella lit. Not sure if session IPAs are still a thing. I don't know. From this week to the next, they might not be. But you get the point. Uh, So I guess not last category for session IPAs, but if we want to talk about milkshake IPAs a little bit more, which I don't, but every other picture you see online or social media or beer releases, it's a milkshake IPA. They're generally hazy, so, you know, you can't see when the lactose drops out and clumps up at the bottom of your glass when it's crappily made with no attention to detail, but uh, it means that they have lactose in them, milk sugar, lactose, uh, which is an unfermentable sugar by most brewing yeast, so I guess you could throw sour IPAs in here as well and just call it a general bullshit category, but then too many people might get offended, but hey, they're not listening anyway, so who cares? In case you're actually wondering, milkshake IPAs refer to the milk sugar or lactose that is added to the beer. And lactose was originally added to porters and stouts, you know, back in England because it was thought to boost the nutrition of beer and was actually often prescribed to pregnant women because it was thought that the milk sugar would help them nourish their developing children and uh, once they are born, if they're breastfeeding, help provide some nutrition for the children, which I think we have significantly advanced on the frontier of science since then, but it was a valiant effort slash marketing campaign. Anyway, the basis is that lactose is a sugar that brewing yeasts are generally not able to consume, which means that those sugars survive through fermentation and into the final product, and it changes the way that the beer feels in your mouth, aka mouthfeel, and that is part of the way we perceive a beer as that finished product and in the case of hazy IPAs 
it lends to that soft feeling that is so different than the tingly hot bitterness feeling on our tongues. So when you're going for a beer that you want to feel soft and kind of rounded and juicy and, you know, more approachable, um, than a sharp, bitter IPA that really the West coast IPA is really known for, then that lactose can really play a significant role. Um, then you can add vanilla too, and that kind of blurs even more lines, but I think I've already made my opinion clear on that one. So it's your money, buy whatever you want. I don't care. That hot bitterness can also be accentuated by carbon dioxide, CO2, which is the primary gas that beer is served with. And carbon dioxide is acidic and gives you that tingly sensation of the carbon dioxide bubbles bursting on your tongue and lactose can help tame that feeling and that effect down as well. So that's another reason that lactose can be used when trying to create that really smooth, super non bitter, non carbonic feeling when you want something that has taken new England IPAs and bastardized it. Anyway, that's it for this one. I will continue this series in the future uh, with a focus on other styles in particular. So I was planning on doing really more of an overview, but I kind of got wrapped up in the hoppy ales. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Next week will be another interview episode from a place I was scheduled to visit in Portland, Oregon before the world got canceled. So I'm pretty excited to do that one. As always, if you are enjoying the show, please take a minute to subscribe and rate and review on whatever podcast whatever podcast platform you're listening on. It really does make a difference and it helps other people. If they see a review, they see it has reviews. They see, you know, what other people think about it. Obviously this is the best podcast in the world. So you should let other people know that you can follow the show on Instagram at beertruth.podcast. That will help me book cool interviews by having a bigger audience. Um, because that does matter to breweries when they're deciding what to do with their time. So on a separate note, I just ordered a metric fuck ton of stickers. So if you review the show, send me a screenshot of that. Uh, just email me a screenshot to either Tom at beertruth.com or beertruthpodcast at gmail.com. And I will send you a sticker anywhere in the world. I don't care where you are. I know the international audience is growing, which is awesome. Uh, Australia, France, Puerto Rico, England, India. I will send you a sticker and you can show other people that you're really cool. So I also just got some really cool holographic stickers. I only have 50 of those, so figure it out quick or you will miss out and then I will shame you. And on a more worldwide note, when you go out for a drink or food or whatever, wear a fucking mask. Help slow this coronavirus shit down because it is spiking again and then we will be shut down again back to where we were and we'll have to sit in our houses and drink alone like I always do. So let's help slow it down. Till next Wednesday and the next round, cheers. And don't forget, Black Lives Matter. It's like Bud Light for people with taste buds.